welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hi, everyone. This is Jim Carr, the Chief Executive Officer of the BACB. And I'm Melissa Nosek, the Deputy CEO. So we're here today to discuss the role of the BACB in behavior analysis in the context of recent events, particularly the movement against racial injustice in society. So on June 4th, the BACB issued the following statement. The tragic events over the past week and ongoing social injustices in the U.S. are a stark reminder of the systemic racism in our country. We stand in solidarity with our Black colleagues, certificates, clients, and the entire Black community in condemning all acts of racism, discrimination, and senseless acts of violence. The BACB is committed to diversity and equality and places the highest value on inclusivity in all environments, including professional settings, universities, and the community at large. Although the BACB as the profession certification board cannot speak for or represent our discipline as a whole, our professional associations can and do. Thus, we commend APBA, ABAI, and others for the recent detailed position statements condemning social injustices and reaffirming our discipline's commitment to inclusivity and mutual respect for all people. Now, that statement included uh, the BACB's role in the profession, and we received uh, multiple follow-up questions about our role in the profession, and we want to take the opportunity today to more thoroughly discuss the issue. That's right, Jim. There's currently a tremendous amount of confusion and uncertainty about the roles of various professional organizations in ABA. Unfortunately, this has led to sharing of information on social media that is incorrect. Uh, it is no secret at all that the profession has grown quickly due to the demand for ABA services, and the size of the ABA workforce has increased fivefold in less than a decade, and our professional infrastructure is really still catching up to those numbers. That said, um, the major professional organizations have very specific missions and roles and substantial limitations on their activities from various sources. Uh, these limitations include state laws where the organization was founded as a nonprofit, IRS rules, and for the BACB, our NCCA accreditation requirements. Uh, so we're going to start today. Um, Jim, do you mind talking about the role of the BACB? So the BACB is similar to a regulatory body or licensure board. So the organization was founded to certify behavior analysts and help governmental agencies in their regulatory activities. And we have engaged in a few non-certification activities over the years, and they, they were all consistent with our mission. But our primary duty has always been to operate a regulatory type system and apply behavior analysis. In the 31 states that license behavior analysts, the BACB is written into the laws or regulations to varying degrees. Well, and as a note, uh, regulatory activity via licensure is relatively new to behavior analysis in general because we've only had licensure for 11 years now. Yeah, that's a good point. So we haven't had a lot of time for all of this regulatory activity to kind of shake out uh, such that everyone uh, has a, a good idea of you know what all the responsibilities are. Uh, but, but in our regulatory-like role, the BACB is prohibited from engaging in political activity and has very strict limitations on its 
its other acceptable activities. Now, that said, a number of recent statements online indicate that a number of our certificates think that the BACB is a professional membership association with wide latitude about its acceptable public behavior. Um, and this is just not true. Uh, although we do sometimes wish we could engage in a broader array of advocacy activities, we actually have a very limited role in ABA. And again, this is due to restrictions imposed upon us by certain legal statutes and IRS rules. So I actually think it's useful to think about the BACB as being akin to a licensure board since we serve a, a similar function. Now, we should mention that there are some other professions that have certification boards that are regulated differently under law and IRS rules. Uh, and so that does give them some greater flexibility than the BACB has. Uh, but the BACB, given how it was chartered and uh, where it was incorporated and how we're uh, approved under the IRS, uh, we just nonetheless have uh, a number of restrictions on our activity. Yeah, that makes sense. It's understandable why some behavior analysts then think that the BACB has a larger role than it does. Many behavior analysts likely hear from us more often than some professional associations, surely due to the frequency of BACB activity being directly tied to our own efforts to revise certification requirements and improve our operational effectiveness as we're trying to keep up with this rapid and sizable growth in the profession. Uh, and because a number of behavior analysts are not members of some of the major professional associations, they likely don't look uh, to these organizations to speak on their behalf. Right. So it's not surprising that some of our certificates believe that the BACB should be the advocate for behavior analysts. Um, but the BACB is just not a professional membership association that's been charged with representing the interests of its members and speaking on behalf of a profession. Indeed, we don't even have members, we have certificates. But fortunately, behavior analysis does have a number of state, provincial, and national professional associations. Yep, that's right. Two examples of major professional associations in behavior analysis are APBA and ABAI. These organizations were established to provide different services than a certification board and are permitted a whole lot more latitude in their permissible activities, including making public statements and taking a stand on social issues. Uh, this is evident in the recent detailed statements that were made by APBA and ABAI about recent events. Uh, Jim, do you have a couple pieces of those statements to read? I do, yeah. So uh, I'll start with reading just a section of ABAI's statement. And so it reads, we join the voices across the country and world in expressing our outrage over the numerous acts of racial violence that have happened recently in the U.S., including the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, among many others. We also recognize, importantly, that these acts are not unique to the U.S. Racial violence and inequity happen all over the world and are most certainly not recent phenomena. That's a great start. Um, in the statement from ABAI and an APBA statement starts, the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts stands with thousands of behavior analysts and others around the globe in anguishing over the deaths of far too many black people at the hands of law enforcement personnel and the losses of far too many other lives to systemic racism and other forms of bigotry. So these two uh, statements from the two leading national professional associations in the US start very clearly and very strongly. They go on to provide much more detail about various activities by these professional associations related to diversity and inclusion, and we certainly share their sentiments. 
those are two great examples of the type of position statement that professional associations can make. Uh, and to supplement those statements, the APBA Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Gina Green, has shared a statement on the role of APBA as a professional association. Hi, everyone. This is Gina Green, CEO of the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts, or APBA. APBA is a 501c6 nonprofit professional organization whose mission is to promote and advance the science-based practice of applied behavior analysis. As the demand for ABA services and the number of practitioners has accelerated in recent years, so has the need for laws and regulations to assure that credentialed behavior analysts can practice and that funding for ABA services is available. That's why a major component of APBA's mission, like professional organizations in many other fields, is advocating for public policies to support the practice of ABA. We've worked with local behavior analysis associations, consumer advocates, legislators, and regulators on behavior analyst licensure bills, laws, and rules in more than 35 U.S. states and several jurisdictions outside the U.S. So far, 31 U.S. states have adopted licensure laws that recognize the practice of behavior analysis as a distinct profession, protect behavior analysts' right to practice, and protect consumers of ABA services. APBA has also worked with consumer advocates to obtain laws and rules that require certain health plans to cover ABA services for people with autism and related diagnoses, and to recognize credentialed behavior analysts as qualified providers. Relatedly, APBA is one of four organizations that developed a successful application to have the American Medical Association's CPT editorial panel modify the temporary Category 3 CPT codes for billing health plans for ABA services and upgrade eight of those codes to Category 1 or permanent status as of 2019. With three of those organizations and the Council of Autism Service Providers, we continue to develop resources for providers and payers and to advocate for appropriate implementation of the CPT codes as part of the ABA Coding Coalition. APBA also provides resources to support ABA practitioners and to promote public understanding of the professional practice of ABA. Some examples include the Model Behavior Analyst Licensure Act, a white paper on identifying ABA interventions, guidelines for evaluating credentials and the practice of ABA, and our recent guidelines on practicing ABA during the COVID-19 pandemic. All of those and other resources are available to the public on our website, apbahome.net. Members can also access many resources in the members-only section of the website. Last but not least, APBA strives to provide quality professional development opportunities at our annual convention, via presentations at many other conferences, and in webinars. As a professional organization, APBA has memberships for individuals rather than agencies, companies, or organizations. Memberships are available for BACB certificates, RBTs, professionals who are not credentialed by the BACB, consumers, and students. Dues are very reasonable, and all memberships come with lots of benefits, including access to the resources I mentioned earlier and discounts on professional liability insurance, some journals and books, job ads on our Career Center, and fees for the APBA convention and webinars. 
Being a member also ensures that you receive updates about important developments in the practice of ABA. Well, that was a nice illustration of uh, the difference between, you know, a professional membership association uh, and then, you know, our earlier description of what a certification board does. So to recap, the BACB necessarily has a more limited role in ABA than many believe. So when we appear to be silent on an issue, there's a very good chance that it's for a reason and not simply a choice of inaction or a preference. Now, there are a number of recent posts online recognizing that organizations and other professions had issued statements condemning racial injustice. And in these posts, every single organization that was mentioned was a professional membership association. So these were the appropriate bodies to publish such detailed commentary. So we clearly need more frequent and robust efforts to educate behavior analysts about the highly defined roles of the major organizations in the profession. And although we've long discussed these distinct roles in our conference presentations and in our written publications and, and on podcasts, we certainly need to do more. Now, given the profession's recent extreme growth, the incompleteness of our collective professional infrastructure, and the fact that even some senior behavior analysts struggle to articulate the roles of the various professional organizations, this educational task will likely be an ongoing one for quite some time. So you'll definitely be hearing from us about this topic in various ways more often in the future. So we've already discussed that due to a number of restrictions on BACD activity by various sources, we've been mandated to take a very limited role in public commentary and advocacy, including in issues that are of critical importance to society. So that said, we want to take a few minutes to address some of the actions that BACB has and will be taking related to diversity and cultural competence. The first, the BACB operates under a non-discrimination policy that is outlined on our website, in our bylaws, and in our employee handbook. Uh, the BACB has always valued diversity and was actually one of the first major organizations in behavior analysis to have a majority of women on our governing board. We've also operated under a female presidency for the majority of our 22 years. That's a good point. Um, in addition, both of our current ethics codes clearly prohibit discrimination. Uh, we're currently finalizing our new ethics code for BCBAs and BCABAs and are pleased to report that even prior to recent events, we had begun to strengthen and add code standards pertaining to diversity and cultural competence, and we're excited to share this new code with our certificates in the next year. That's right. Uh, we've also been asked to add CEU and coursework requirements on diversity and cultural competence for BCBAs and BCABAs. Uh, as we've described before, the BACB staff aren't permitted to develop certification requirements, but instead we're required to use panels of subject matter experts to help establish those requirements. Uh, this process is outlined in many of the publications that we have available on our resources page of the website. Um, the diversity and cultural competence topic is already queued up as a potential new content area for our next work groups who are going to study the requirements. Uh, but in the meantime, we encourage additional scholarship and the develop of new trainings and resources on diversity and cultural competence so that they can help support any new requirements that come along. Now, to facilitate submitting recommendations to our SME committees, we have created an online contact form specifically for the purpose of collecting this information. SMEs will be provided with the information gathered from those submissions at the point at which they review requirements in the future. 
The contact forms will remain on our website for those who have comments to submit directly to us instead of relying on other ways of getting that information to us. And then to provide some context for the time frame or requirements review, Remember that the BCBA and BCABA coursework requirements were first announced in 2017, and those fifth edition requirements won't take effect until 2022. So that's a five-year window. So as I mentioned, diversity and cultural competence are at the top of the queue for our subject matter experts who study coursework and CEU requirements, but this will take some time. But we will expedite the timeline as best we can. And then additionally, for those of you interested in serving on our SME committees, there's an SME application on our website where you can complete information um, and be placed in our system for SME recruitment activities. Another initiative that we're working on is the development of BACB-provided CEU content freely available on our website. Uh, we hope to launch this initiative in the next year, and a free training on diversity and cultural competence will be one of the first trainings that will be made available, along with a training on the role of the BACB in the profession. A resource that many people are probably not aware of is that the BACB has operated a modest philanthropy program over the past few years, where nonprofit organizations have requested small grants to help develop professional standards that could benefit our certificates. Uh, so should any such organization undertake an initiative to develop standards around diversity and cultural competence, we really encourage them to email us to get further information about that program. Right. And to clarify, these would need to be nonprofit organizations yeah. that are, are doing standards development. Finally, a number of certificates have asked us to publish our demographic data over the past year or so. Uh, we haven't done this yet because we've been in the middle of a multi-year effort to rebuild an entirely new gateway system uh, where we're going to have uh, better and more informative demographic categories on the certificate profiles. However, because this project still won't be completed for a while longer, uh, we're actually taking steps to revise the current gateway system and we'll be asking certificates to update their profile soon. And as soon as we have enough data uh, from those profiles, we'll be publishing the demographic data on our website, uh, likely in the next couple of months. So just to pivot for a moment, a question uh, that we've received is what can or is the BACB doing to increase the diversity of certificates? The answer to this question relates to the controlling variables for who eventually becomes a BACB certificate. Uh, and that occurs much earlier in a behavior analyst career, actually at the point uh, where they become aware of the profession and pursue their education and training. So it seems reasonable that as more diverse groups receive and provide ABA services, the BACB will eventually receive applications from a greater and more diverse group of individuals seeking certification. In the meantime, there may be actions that universities and professional associations can take to encourage more diversity among those who are newly interested in our profession. Thanks, Melissa. So just to tie all this up, so as we mentioned earlier, there is substantial confusion about the roles of the various professional organizations in behavior analysis, and we certainly understand why. Again, we are in our adolescence in terms of uh, the profession growing and maturing, and our infrastructure is just not yet complete. Part of that is everyone having an idea of what every organization is responsible for. Uh, but hopefully this podcast and some of our future educational 
additional efforts will help provide you know some clarification for our certificates um, but we really hope that our faculty colleagues will join us in these efforts because new behavior analysts should already have a clear understanding of their professional landscape just as uh, new members of other professions do in the meantime, if there's ever any question about why the BACB is or has been silent on an issue that a professional association has addressed, a useful rule of thumb might be to think about us as a regulatory board and ask, well, would a regulatory or licensure board engage in this kind of activity? Yeah, it's also helpful sometimes to just go to a licensure board website and see what kind of information they're putting out as a point of reference. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and just finally, we just wanted to strongly encourage our listeners to become members in their state and national professional associations if they haven't already and become active uh, on some of their initiatives around this topic. We recommend this kind of membership at the beginning of a certificate's professional experience within even our welcome letter that new certificates receive. And we encourage supervisors to emphasize this as part of the discussions with their trainees as well. As we indicated earlier, it is our professional associations that are permitted to engage in a wide range of important activities. They are truly the voice of behavior analysis and have the primary obligation to represent our profession. However, without adequate membership, these organizations will not have the resources to fill their critical missions. So please support them. So finally, as always, don't forget to check out our episode resources for important links to the content mentioned in the podcast. And stay tuned for future announcements from the BACB about our demographic data and our efforts related to diversity and cultural competence. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.